0: Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for streaming today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory is a nonprofit ministry featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress. And right now, your generous gift will have twice the impact... Thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge, active right now through December 31st. To give a special year-end gift, go to ptv.org slash podcast and click the Donate button, or follow the link in our show notes. Now, here's today's podcast, From Pathway to Victory. This is Robert Jeffress. In response to the horrific attack on Israel,
1: I've written a brand new book called Are We Living in the End Times? Go to ptv.org to order your copy. When Jesus said in John 14, For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It means Zechariah, Daniel, Isaiah, all of the Old Testament prophets were right. Jesus is coming again. And He's going to take us to be with Him forever.
0: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, most people think that the Christmas story took place some 2,000 years ago. But in fact, it began thousands of years before Jesus was even born. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress uncovers the origins of the Christmas story in the countless prophecies recorded throughout the Old Testament. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David. Christmas is definitely in the air. With only days remaining, most of us are
1: getting ready for the parties and celebrations. And I know you're busy. And I'm glad you took time to join us for today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Christmas 2023 will forever be remembered as the season when Israel was viciously attacked by terrorists. It's one more reminder that our enemy seeks to destroy us. This battle is fought not only in the Middle East, but in many ways in our own country. Think back on 2023. America has endured deep political division on Capitol Hill. Our cities are racked by grab-and-go crimes, and it seems like the tension is mounting as we enter a new election cycle. Well, Even in these dark and foreboding days, I've never been more excited about shining the light of biblical truth. For Christians, this is a dynamic time to shine the light of God's glory in the dark recesses of our world. And so today, I've come to you boldly to enlist your partnership. Your generous gift to Pathway to Victory will be used to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. By now, I hope you've heard about the matching challenge because there's never been a better time to leverage your gift. Every dollar you give will be doubled until we reach the cap amount of $500,000. You can give right now by going to ptv.org. When you do, be sure to request the exclusive 2024 Pathway to Victory daily devotional. It comes with my thanks for your confidence in Pathway to Victory and your investment in this ministry. We'll say more about this leather-bound book later. But right now, let's continue our study in Luke's gospel. I titled today's message, Christmas on the Road. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the gospel of Luke. And I want you to turn to chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. This story takes place late on a Sunday afternoon, but it wasn't just any Sunday afternoon. It was the Sunday of Christ's resurrection. And there were two travelers, two disciples of Christ, who were on their way from Jerusalem back to their hometown called Emmaus. That's the background for what takes place here. Now look at verse 13 of Luke 24. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all of the things that had taken place. What things? Well, the things about the one they had been following, Jesus about how he was unfairly arrested, went through the six mock trials, how he was crucified, and then laid to rest in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And so Jesus said to them, "'What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking?' And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the thing about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him, But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I want us to focus for a few minutes today on that verse Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things about himself. What was he saying? Jesus was saying you cannot turn a page of the Old Testament without finding something about the birth, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, or the return of Jesus Christ. And so this unrecognized Jesus spent two hours in the Old Testament showing what the Old Testament revealed about the coming of Jesus Christ. What does the Old Testament tell us about Jesus Christ? First of all, it gives us the prediction of his birth. Not only that, the Old Testament predicts that this Messiah would be born to a virgin. I think that's what Jesus pointed out to these two on the road to Emmaus, the prediction of his birth. Not only that, Jesus also probably pointed to the character of his ministry. He would have pointed to all of the predictions in the Old Testament about the kind of ministry he would have. We don't have time to look at each of these, but just jot them down. First of all, he would be preceded by a messenger. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. In Matthew 3:3 3, 3, in describing John the Baptist, who did exactly that, notice how Matthew relates it to John to Isaiah's prophecy. For this is the one talked about John the Baptist, referred to by Isaiah the prophet. A second prophecy is that he would begin his ministry in Galilee, Isaiah 9:1, by Galilee of the Gentiles. In Matthew 4: 12 to 13 and verse 17, Jesus began his ministry in Galilee. Thirdly, he would have a ministry of miracles, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. Matthew 9 verse 35, we find that the Son of God went proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Fourthly, he would teach in parables. Psalm 82, verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Matthew 13, verse 34, all of these things Jesus spoke in parables. Fifthly, he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey Zechariah the prophet wrote 500 years before the birth of Christ. Notice Zechariah 9:9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humbled and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And of course, when he made his triumphal entry, Luke 19, verse 35 says, And they brought the donkey to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. Had Jesus not been as rushed for time as I am right now, I would imagine he would also have pointed out to these men, not only did the Old Testament prophesy that he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, but the Old Testament predicted when that would occur. To me, the most amazing prophecy in all of the Bible is in Daniel 9, written 500 years before the coming of Christ, Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27, when Daniel and his prophecy of the 70 weeks pinpointed the year, the month, the exact date in history when Jesus would walk into Jerusalem, ride into Jerusalem on that donkey. It is an amazing thing when you study that. Sixth, he would be a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 60 verse 3 says, And nations will come to your light and bring to the brightness of your rising. Acts 13 verse 47, For thus the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. I think these are the things Jesus pointed out to those followers of his on the road to Emmaus. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. But friend, these two said to the unrecognized Jesus, that's all fine and good. Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, but you don't understand. Haven't you heard? He was crucified. This Jesus that we were expecting to be our deliverer, he ended up being killed. And that's why we're so sad. What did Jesus say to them? Jesus said, don't you realize? Don't you realize? That was also predicted in the Old Testament. The necessity of his death. And I imagine, of all the Old Testament passages Jesus could have turned to to show the necessity of his death, he probably used the most familiar passage of all, found in Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 6. If you want to know what the Christmas message really is, here it is, written 700 years before the fact and describing the Messiah. Isaiah wrote, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isn't that what Jesus said about himself in Matthew 20, verse 28? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. Ladies and gentlemen, don't let the lights, the carols, the gifts, the family get-togethers obscure the real meaning of Christmas. The real meaning of Christmas is this. Every one of us has wandered away from God. And because of that, we are all deserving of God's punishment. But instead of leaving us to experience the consequences of our sin for all eternity, God sent forth his son to be the ransom for our sin. When Jesus died on that cross, he died not for his sin. He had no sin. The chastening, the scourging, the punishment we deserve for all eternity fell upon Jesus. He paid the price for our sin. That is why his death was an absolute necessity. But the story of Christ and Christmas doesn't end on Calvary. I believe Jesus also reminded these two on the road to Emmaus about the certainty of his resurrection. Look back at Luke 24, beginning with verse 21. They said to this unrecognized Jesus, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying they had seen vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just like the women had also said. But him, Jesus, they did not see. You know, if you read this carefully, it really is pretty funny. You know what they were saying? They were saying, you know, we put all our faith in this Jesus guy We thought he was going to deliver us from Rome, and instead of doing that, he ended up getting himself crucified. And if that weren't enough to add insult to injury, now his body's missing. I mean, if he was a Messiah, why couldn't he even keep his body in the grave? Instead, he allowed it to be stolen. What kind of Messiah is that? (laughs) Jesus said, oh, foolish men. Are you so slow of understanding that you haven't put this together yet? This Jesus you're talking about predicted his death, but he also predicted his resurrection. It was predicted in the Old Testament. You say, where do you find that in the Old Testament? Well, one place is Psalm 16, verse 10. David wrote, for thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Now again, this had an immediate fulfillment in David's time. David said, I am confident. I'm confident God's not going to leave me in the grave. I'm confident in a future resurrection. We're going to talk about in a few weeks what happens to infants and children when they die. David said, I believe I'm going to see my son again. That means a resurrection. I'm going to live after I die. That was an immediate prophecy, but it also had an ultimate fulfillment in the Messiah. David was saying, God is not going to allow his Holy One, the Messiah, to remain in the grave long enough to even have the decay of his own body. He's going to raise him from the dead. He said, Pastor, that's another stretch. How are you taking something 900 years before Christ and relating it to the future resurrection? Isn't that kind of stretching it? Not at all, because the apostle Peter made the same application of that verse in Acts 2.31. When Peter was preaching at Pentecost, he talked about the resurrected Christ, and he quoted this verse that David wrote in Psalm 16.10, and he said, and David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Jesus over and over again had said to his disciples, he was going to be raised from the dead, destroy this temple, talking about his body, in three days I will raise it up. Or in Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Doesn't it make sense, Jesus must have said to these two, doesn't it make sense that maybe the reason the tomb is empty is because this Jesus you had placed your hopes in, maybe he did just what he said he would do. He would be resurrected from the dead. Well, by this time, about two hours had passed. They were getting close to Emmaus. Look what happened in verse 28 of Luke 24. And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he would go on farther. And they urged him saying, stay with us. For it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread, and he blessed it, breaking it, and he began giving it to them. Now, this wasn't a Lord's Supper, a communion service. There was no organ music and dimmed lights. Uh, There's no wine here. It wasn't a Lord's Supper. They were just eating. He was just passing the bread. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. What is it that made them suddenly recognize Jesus? Maybe it's the way he broke the bread. They recognized the funny way he would tear off the end of it first before he broke the rest of it. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus, the Jesus they knew was left-handed and this guy was left-handed as well. Something he did or something he said made them recognize him. And then he suddenly vanished. Verse 32. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning? You know, I'll have to admit that sometimes when we hear all of this about these fulfilled prophecies of Jesus, for some of us, It's yawn city. Okay, pastor, I've heard all that before. Tell me something I don't know. Jesus fulfilled prophecies. What is it that kept this two-hour discussion from being some dry theological discourse? What is it that caused these followers of Jesus to have their hearts burn as Jesus was talking to them? I think here's what it was. When they put it all together, they realized that if Jesus really did what he said he was gonna do, if Jesus really was the fulfillment of all of these prophecies, then they could trust in everything Jesus said to them about their life, their death, their eternity. That's what caused their hearts to burn within them. You know, writer E.B. Hardy said, when it's all said and done, There are only two questions in the universe that matter, only two, everything else is peripheral. Question number one, has anyone ever cheated death? Hardy said that's the most important question. Has anybody ever cheated death? Is this life all that there is or is there something beyond it? Hardy said he looked around, he found that the graves of Muhammad, the graves of the Buddha, the graves of every religious leader, The graves of everybody who's ever lived, those graves are still occupied. There's only one unoccupied grave. It's the tomb of Jesus Christ. Has anybody ever cheated death? Jesus did. But here's a second, even more important question. If somebody has cheated death, has he provided a way for me to cheat death? And I think as these disciples put it all together, They realized who Jesus was and what he said. Their hearts burned within them because they had hope that Jesus could really pull off what he said he could pull off. When Jesus said in John 3, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. It means I don't have to face the judgment of God I deserve. I don't have to fear hell because one day I'm going to be with Jesus. When Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. It means this life isn't all that there is, that there's something better that awaits me. When Jesus said in John 14, for I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It means Zechariah, Daniel, Isaiah, all of the Old Testament prophets were right. Jesus is coming again, and he's going to take us to be with him forever. That lecture on the road to Emmaus was not a dry theological discourse. It means that Jesus of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. Everything predicted about Jesus in the Old Testament is being fulfilled in the New Testament and today. And because of that, we can bank our life and our eternity on what he's promised to us. This is the good news we declare every day on Pathway to Victory. The Bible is not a random collection of disconnected stories. The Bible has one primary theme from start to finish, pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christmas is upon us, and before long, we'll enter a brand new year. In an effort to walk alongside you in 2024, I've written an all-new daily devotional. It contains chapters for every single weekday in the new year so that you can spend quality time reflecting on God's Word. When you give a generous year-end gift, I'd like to send you this Leather Bound 2024 Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional. Keep a copy on your desk or on your nightstand and let this new year become a productive season of spiritual growth. Because of the Active Matching Challenge right now, any amount you give between now and December 31st will have twice the impact. That means your generous gift of $125 becomes $250, a gift of $250 becomes $500, and so it goes. If we can hit the mark on or before December 31st, we will have amassed a tremendous $1,000,000 to unleash from the arsenal next year to touch more lives with the truth of Jesus Christ than ever before. May I count on you to join the team? Truly, there's never been a better time to leverage your gift because every dollar you give becomes twice the size. Thanks for responding today. We deeply appreciate your partnership as together we pierce the darkness with the light of
0: God's Word. David. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous year end gift toward our Proclaim the Gospel matching challenge, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2024. To request your copy, call 866 999 2965 or online, go to ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, we'll also include the complete CD and DVD sets for the Incomparable Christ teaching series. Plus, you'll also receive Celebrate the Savior, Volume 2, a brand-new music CD filled with beautiful Christmas performances from the First Baptist Dallas Choir and Orchestra. In fact, you're listening to one of those songs right now. Remember, because of our Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge, your gift will be doubled in impact by another generous donor. So request your copy of these resources today. Call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, jot down this mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. For thousands of years, skeptics have been trying to prove that the resurrection of Jesus never really happened, because if the resurrection was a hoax, well, then all of Christianity would fall apart. Find out what's at stake if Christ has not been raised. That's Thursday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Even though we don't know the date when Jesus will return, we need to have our finger on the pulse of what's happening today. So, in response to the war in Israel, Dr. Robert Jeffress has written a brand new book. It's called, Are We Living in the End Times? In light of increasing chaos, division, and warfare in our world, this really is a fair question. Request your copy of Are We Living in the End Times by going to ptv.org. You've made it to the end of today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. We're so glad you're here. Pathway to Victory relies on the generosity of loyal listeners like you to make this podcast possible. And right now, your special year-end gift will be matched and therefore doubled in impact thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge. Take advantage of this opportunity to double your impact before the deadline on December 31st. To give toward the Matching Challenge, go to ptv.org slash podcast and click on the Donate button or follow the link in our show notes. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast, From Pathway to Victory.